And it is another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in. Whether you're doing that live at Joy 620 or you're listening to the archive, the podcast over at investinghope.com or on TuneIn or Google Play or Apple Podcast, iTunes, or newly added Amazon Podcast. Yeah, you can listen to this show. I don't know if you, yeah, you can because I told Alexa to the other day. I was in my kitchen and I went, I want to try this. I said, Alexa, play. I'm not, I can't remember what I said. Maybe a conversation on life with Andrew Wood or Hope Resource Center, Andrew Wood or Andrew Wood Podcast. I'd say all of those things. Alexa will appreciate it. And Alexa started playing me. And so uh, my family loved it because I made them listen to it during supper and uh, it was great. So uh, you can do all of those things, but you can find it also at justinvestinghope.com uh, or just subscribe and it notifies you every single week that it's a uh, new episode is up. Today, we have a lot to talk about. First thing I want to do, I don't want to toot my own horn, but toot toot, because last week I said uh, President Trump should move forward and nominate uh, for the Supreme Court, Amy Coney Barrett. And guess what, folks? What did he do on Saturday? Ding, 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 ding. He nominated Amy Coney Barrett. Barrett. So what we are going to do today is a deep dive into Amy Coney Barrett. We're going to look at her record. We're going to look at um, where she stands. We're going to talk about what the news and what the world is saying about her, what this country is saying about her, what the left may say about her, what the right may say about her. We're going to do all of that because I think it's important that we do that. And, and so if you're listening to the show, again, I've, I've said this the last few weeks, you may be going, it seems like you're talking more politics as of late. Well, it's the election year. We're like 30-something days out from the election. November 3rd is going to be here before you know it. And right smack dab in the middle of it, uh, right as we reach the last leg of the campaign, uh, we have a Supreme Court uh, nominee. And you have Mitch McConnell, leader of the Senate, saying, look, we are going to have a vote on this nominee and boy, oh boy, oh boy, has it been interesting over the last week or so. I will say this. Over the weekend, uh, I, I kind of stayed away from the news. And so I, I obviously knew that, that President Trump uh, nominated Amy Coney Barrett. I, I knew that was happening. And, uh, and so I knew that was happening, but I did not like stay in front of the news. I, like I said, I, I deleted Twitter, so I haven't been following that. Um, and, and on Saturday we had a, a sale. My wife owns a small business. And so, uh, we had a sale at the house. And then on Sunday we went to Dollywood uh, for the first time since, uh, all of the COVID stuff occurred. We went to Dollywood on Sunday. It was a great time. Kids enjoyed it. Kids were great. Family enjoyed it. Uh, we got to see all the pumpkins and, and everything that, that comes along with Halloween at Dollywood. And so highly recommend you getting a chance, uh, go there. You, you need to, it'll be good for your soul. Uh, even though some would say Halloween is not good for your soul, going to Dollywood and looking at pumpkins and riding rides is good for your soul. So we're going to start with, there's an article over at National Review that I couldn't have wrote a better headline. I, I thought the headline of this article was great. And so we're going to talk about this article written by Catherine Lopez. And the headline is, In a sane world, America would have just fallen in love with the Barrett family. You could just stop there. Uh, in a sane world, America would have just fallen in love with the Barrett family. And so the Lopez starts with this. What, what's not to love? 
a woman of excellence, a testimony to marriage, a household of hospitality, a love of America and the Constitution, a tribute to Ruth Bader Ginsburg in recognition of her role in history, putting a spotlight on the powerful friendship between Justices Scalia and Ginsburg, and the implicit love of the Virgin Mary that should come every time we hear the name of that school in South Bend. And of course, there's the radiance of the dogma living loudly in such a beautiful way. I have a particular love of the Barrett family because this is another potential Supreme Court family who have adopted. Of course, social media being what it is, people are wanting investigations into the histories of our, histories of our two adopted children instead of taking the lesson that ought to be taken. We need that spirit of generosity that America has been known for. Read Arthur Brooks if you don't know what I'm talking about. The morning after Election Day, when I have no doubt will have no idea the official results yet, the Supreme Court will be hearing a case on foster care, where the city of Philadelphia has halted contracts with Catholic social services because the beliefs of the Catholic Church on marriage are no longer acceptable there. That's dangerous territory. That's one of the reasons Barrett was cheered at the White House over the weekend. She's not looking to impose beautiful, charismatic Christianity on the country. She wants that constitution that's protected us to be able to operate on our different beliefs to continue to operate. Today and this weekend and moving forward is a beautiful day in America. And I wish people would take a deep breath and be inspired. Let the Barrett family stretch your heart. Let Amy Barrett's tribute to family and country remind us all what it is and what is most important in life. And so the reason I wanted to start there is because we have a, we, we find ourselves in a situation currently where we refuse to celebrate anything, even if it's good, if it happens to be good from the other side, quote unquote, meaning we are in tribal politics. And so because, I mean, Donald Trump could have nominated anyone, literally anyone. He could have nominated Merrick Garland and the left would have had a problem with it. That's just the reality. And so, and so because he nominates Amy Coney Barrett, what do you have? You, you have Bill Maher saying that she's uh, a nut job uh, because of her religious faith. You have people questioning. You have people saying that she's part of a cult. She's weird. She's strange. You, you have folks saying, oh, she's Catholic. So, so let's look for a second. Joe Biden runs for president. He's a Catholic, and, and his, his Catholicism is celebrated. Amy Coney Barrett is nominated to the Supreme Court, she's Catholic, and that's a fault of hers. That's a problem. She's part of a cult. You, you see the difference there? Now, what's the main difference between Barrett and someone like Biden? Both Catholic. One, though, is pro-life. One is pro-choice. That's your difference, folks. You see, abortion is the idol there. And, and I don't say that lightly. Abortion has become an idol. Now, they'll package it as women's rights and uh, reproductive rights and, and all that nonsense. But the reality is abortion is the idol. We need more of it. That's what they would argue. And somebody like Amy Coney Barrett is, in their minds, going to take that away from them. Now, I will say this, that, that nominating Amy Coney Barrett, I don't know how she's going to judge. I have a feeling I know how she's going to judge. She, she clerked for Scalia. I don't really need to hear much else. Scalia, one of the most conservative justices to ever sit on the court. But, but also what we, what we see in this moment in time, maybe never in history in, in American politics have we seen 
a change like we are about to see. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, you have one of the most progressive liberal justices ever in Ruth Bader Ginsburg being replaced by really her conservative counterpart. You see, Amy Coney Barrett's an originalist. What does that mean? Now, now some would argue that means she believes, and I'm going to read an article here in a second, that Planned Parenthood wrote an op-ed that the, the president of Planned Parenthood wrote attacking Amy Coney Barrett, and she mentions this. But, but Amy Coney Barrett, anyone that says they're an originalist when it comes to reading of the Constitution, that means that the Constitution is not a leave, living and breathing document. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that when you read the Constitution, the words of the Constitution mean what they say. And so that's the view that an, an originalist will read the Constitution. That's how they will judge. That's how they will make decisions. Okay, what does the Constitution say concerning that? And if you go back to Roe v. Wade, you go back to uh, Casey versus Planned Parenthood, you go back to those cases, and what you see is justices looking at the Constitution as a living, breathing document and finding rights for abortion that aren't in there, making up rights, making up things to, to justify abortion. And so what you have with an Amy Coney Barrett, with a Clarence Thomas, with a Scalia, are folks that read the Constitution for what it is. When it says freedom of speech, that's what it means. So, so those are the things that matter. And, and outside of that, in a sane world, in a logical world, even if you disagree, look, what, what did you have last week? When Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away, you had conservatives, you had people from all walks of life saying she was uh, a hero. You had people saying how great of a mom she was, how great of a wife she was, what, a, what an amazing grandmother she was. You had people say that, that even though we disagree with her on policy, she did a lot for women in our country. You had people celebrating her. Even though they, they disagree with her policies, you, you had her relationship and Scalia's relationship uh, being, being ele elevated and celebrated and saying, look, this is where we should be. People can disagree but still be friends. But that quickly goes away when Amy Coney Barrett is nominated and, appoint and hopefully appointed and confirmed. But when she gets her name thrown in the hat, what do you find? You find people on social media going, uh, I'd love to see the history of her adoptions. And now why is that? She has, she has two children that were adopted from Haiti. So they are uh, people of color. She has one child that has Down syndrome. She has seven children in total. But people are focusing in on the two children from Haiti. And they're saying that we'd like to see the history of her. And, and so that's a problem. That's a problem because what they are doing, instead of celebrating her family dynamic, instead of saying, this is going to be awesome, we may have a woman on the court that, that literally has diversity inside of her family. And, and why does that matter to us? It matters greatly to us. We have a woman that may serve on the court. She's a young woman, and so she, she'll be serving for a very, very long time, God willing. Who can see the world through the eyes of being a special needs parent? Who can see the world through the eyes of being an adoptive parent? 
who can see the world as being a biological parent. You see, all of those things should matter. We should celebrate that. But instead, oh, well, she, she's an originalist, so we don't want to talk to her. We don't want to celebrate her because we disagree with her and she's going to take all of our rights away. And you even see Joe Biden and others saying things like that, which is just patently false. But it's not just all rights. The one that they're most concerned about is abortion, because abortion is the idol. Remember, it is the golden calf. It is the one that trumps all others. And they're nervous. Now, why are they nervous? They're nervous because Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg could be replaced with a Scalia-type justice. And then I'm going to talk about it here in a little bit, but there's a chance that whoever the president is after November 3rd, so whoever is inaugurated in January, may have a chance to, to appoint three more justices. If, it's, if Trump wins, Clarence Thomas may retire. Sotomayor may retire. Breyer may retire. So what you would have there if Trump wins is, is during his two terms as president, he would have appointed six of the nine justices. That's huge, folks. And so for some, they, they have a right to be concerned, but, but can't we just pause for a second and celebrate the life of this, this justice, Amy Coney Barrett, a mother that had her baby and her dreams. You see, our society says you can't have both. You can't possibly be a lawyer and a mom, but she has shown that not only can I be a lawyer, a mom, and a husband, I can be a judge. And now, possibly to the Supreme Court and a mom and a wife to her husband. And so all of those things matter. And we should take a moment to pause and, and, and say, that's awesome that in America that can happen. And, and so when we come back, what we're going to look at is, is an article from Planned Parenthood, an op-ed attacking Amy Coney Barrett's nomination and what they're going to try to do to, to see that her, her, confer, her, her nomination is not confirmed. We'll talk about that when we come back. Faithful from the beginning uh, You found my pain You have been where I've been And I hear you say It is finished It is written We win in the end So as we continue the conversation today, today we are looking at President Trump's nomination to the Supreme Court to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg of Amy Coney Barrett. Now, some are calling her ACB because Ruth Bader Ginsburg was RBG, or as Kamala Harris said over the weekend, <laughs> the notorious BIG, which is uh, not uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but also uh, but but is actually a rapper. Uh, that passed away years ago. So uh, a lot of a lot of initials going around. Here's what I'm going to do is I'm just going to call her Amy Coney Barrett because that's her name and that's what we should do. Uh, and so there's there's a uh, opinion piece, an editorial over at the USA Today uh, by Alexis Johnson, Alexis McGill Johnson, who is over Planned Parenthood now. And, and I thought it was interesting because, of course, they're at a full court press now. You know, they do not want to see they didn't want to see Ginsburg uh, replaced by a Republican president. Uh, and Ginsburg didn't retire under Obama. She 
thought that Hillary was going to win the election. And so she was going to hold on a little bit longer, let Hillary replace her. And that proved to be not the right decision. Hillary lost. President Trump comes in. He gets Gorsuch. He gets Kavanaugh. He gets uh, now this one uh, in, in, in Amy Coney Barrett. And it appears from, from all uh, reports, the Senate's ready to move. They're going to have hearings and they have the votes to confirm her. Uh, to to the courts. And so uh, the abortion lobby is in a full court press, very upset, do not want this to happen. And this is the piece that was written in the USA Today uh, back on September 27th. Uh, and, and this is what Johnson says. She says, when I heard the news last Friday, I knew how hard this would be. I mourned for an evening, then stilled myself for the battle over Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's Supreme Court seat. Now we are in the midst of a pandemic that has claimed 200,000 American lives, 36 days from the most important election of our lifetimes. Now think about that. And I've said this multiple times. Look, both sides have to stop saying the most important election of our lifetime. When you say it every, every four years, eventually it doesn't have the same meaning. All elections are important. Don't get me wrong. You should vote. You should be engaged. You should be involved. But goodness gracious, every four years, the most important of our lifetime. Uh, it seems like we're a fear tactic, but, but I digress. Uh, she goes further. 43 days from oral arguments in the Trump administration's attempt to overturn the Affordable Care Act and with 17 aborted-related, abortion-related cases one step from the Supreme Court. Uh, Johnson says, I know how much is at stake. I carry the weight of 2.4 million reminders that Planned Parenthood patients struggling to live free in a country that has told them again and again that their bodies are not their own. Now, now I'll, I'll interject there. No one is saying that their bodies are not their own. We're simply saying that the body growing inside of you is not your body. Period. It's not. Science has said that. The Bible says it. Everyone knows it. I'm walking around today because I was never my mom. Like, does that make sense to you? When I was growing inside of my mom, I wasn't my mom. I was a separate human. And now walking a separate human on the radio today. Separate human. Okay? And so on the bench, Justice Ginsburg wrote opinions that affirm their right to access the care they need to make decisions about their health, their bodies, and their futures. Some of her fiercest moments came in her dissenting opinions where she showed what it means to show up to a fight even when you're down. Every woman in this country owes the bank account, credit card, or mortgage she holds in her own name to Justice Ginsburg's careful architecture of gender equality and America's jurisprudence, American jurisprudence. Now, I would argue that uh, she probably made some decisions, but to say that every woman owes that, her credit card, her mortgage, and all that to Justice Ginsburg, I think is a stretch. The judge, President Donald Trump, just nominated to replace Justice Ginsburg, Amy Coney Barrett, owes her career as a woman in law school, a law professor able to teach while pregnant, and a mother, and a judge on the federal bench to Justice Ginsburg's hard work. Now, I don't believe that either. Amy Coney Barrett worked her hind end off to get to where she is today. Now, now some decisions were made, some, some court decisions were made, some legislation had to be passed in order for that to happen. But the reality is, Amy Coney Barrett put in the work and did what she had to do to get to where she is today. And, and so, yes, we should look at those that came before us and celebrate those that came before us. But also, we need to recognize the work that was put in by people like Amy Coney Barrett. 
The article goes further. Trump, Mitch McConnell, and their shameless allies will claim that nominating a woman to this seat honors Ginsburg's legacy. But they don't want someone to stand on her shoulders. They want someone to stomp on our rights. Now, that's uh, not true either, but I digress. President Trump said that he would only nominate justices who would overturn Roe v. Wade. As expected, the two appointments he has made to the Supreme Court, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh, have already ruled against access to abortion. Now, by nominating Barrett, Trump is again trying to make, a good, make good on his threat. Barrett opposes abortion rights and has suggested that Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided and should be revisited. That I will agree with. She was a member of a Notre Dame's Faculty for Life group. Oh, how dare she? From 2010 to 2016, she also is a staunch originalist. Now, here, listen to this. Interpreting the Constitution, a document written by slaveholders, as if our country should be frozen in time. If confirmed, Amy Coney Barrett would be the youngest jurist on the Supreme Court, shaping jurisprudence for a generation. Now, it's always interesting to me the, the language that is used. And so instead of saying an originalist that believes the Constitution means what it says, we are supposed to look at the Constitution and, and just pull out of it what we see fit. And that's just not how this country works. Trump will crow incessantly about how he nominated a woman. This is back to the article. And of course, representation matters. Now, now listen to this. Re Johnson here says representation matters. Then she follows that up with this sentence. Listen to this sentence. She just said representation matters. She would also say diversity matters. But listen to the sentence that follows that. I look forward to the day when, as Justice Ginsburg hoped, there will be nine women on the Supreme Court. So representation matters, diversity matters, but I want all women on the Supreme Court. It's the same thing as saying, well, well, men are terrible, terrible people. But the reality is, justices that gave us abortion were all men. Do you understand that? So men are terrible people, but, but out of the same mouth, they would then say, but, but we want to celebrate men that gave us abortion. So it's an interesting place we find ourselves in. She goes further, for those women, those with low incomes or who face state law barriers that already keep abortion out of reach and those who work has been deemed essential, even as the right to control their bodies is not, Barra's nomination isn't just an empty token. It's an active threat. No, it's not. Look, the, the reality is they are upset because the golden calf, which is abortion, has the possibility of, of being overturned. Roe v. Wade has the possibility of being overturned. Look, that's why places like New York, Illinois, California, and others have made moves to lessen the restrictions for abortion. And it's why places like Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, and others have made moves to restrict abortion. Because we're all preparing for the day Roe v. Wade is overturned. Why? Because when Roe v. Wade is overturned, it goes back to the states. When it goes back to the states, then Tennessee can say, you are not allowed to get an abortion in the state of Tennessee. New York can say, you are allowed to get an abortion in the state of New York. Illinois can say, you are allowed to get an abortion in the state of Illinois. Georgia can say, you are not allowed to get an abortion in the state of Georgia. Look, th that's what Roe v. Wade would do if it was overturned. And so, just because Barrett may end up on the Supreme Court doesn't mean the day after they're, they're hearing cases that are going to overturn Roe v. Wade. That's, that's not how it works. So these fear tactics and, and these uh, nonsensical comments when it comes to that, that low-income people are under threat because of people like Amy Coney Barrett is, is just nonsense. 
Low-income people are under threat by abortion industries opening up their clinics in all of those neighborhoods. Think about that. They, they move in and then they prey on these women that are facing unplanned pregnancies and they end the life of their child. Forever decisions made in a split second. But yet we're the crazy ones. We're the angry ones. Yeah, I disagree with that. We'll talk more when we come back. All the storms I saw him come in my defense. My only song is hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. So as we continue the conversation today, I want to look at a piece now that, that talks about Amy Coney Barrett as a new feminist icon. Now look, the, the feminist of old, Susan B. Anthony, and others believed in life in the womb. They fought hard for women's rights, and to them, women's rights didn't end at the womb. It included the womb, meaning little girls that were being born also deserved to be stood for and fought for. And, and so to, to say that, that Amy Coney Barrett is going to stomp on the shoulders and stomp on the rights of women is nonsense. Amy Coney Barrett, not just a woman herself, but also has a daughter, multiple daughters, that I'm sure she cares deeply about and, and, and wants to see them succeed and wants to see them uh, do well in society. I, there was even one picture over the weekend of uh, her little girl looking up at her with just these loving, ad, loving eyes and, and just full of admiration to, for the moment. Now, now think of how empowering that is. This little girl is looking up at her mom and, and thinking, my mom is about to be appointed to the Supreme Court of the U.S. That's huge. Again, why can't folks celebrate that? I mean, that's where we are in society where, well, if we disagree, we can't look at anything positive. And so... Is she going to be the new feminist icon? I don't know. But this article over at Politico uh, makes a great argument. And it says this, Amy Coney Barrett has been praised for her top flight legal mind, even by those who disagree with her. At 48 years old, she is poised to help shape the court for a generation or more. But that's not all her elevation to the high court has the potential to accomplish. Barrett's expected confirmation to serve as a catalyst for rethinking the most powerful social movement in the past half century, feminism. Over the past week, as Ruth Bader Ginsburg's body laid in repose outside the Supreme Court, the nation has rightly celebrated the justices' trailblazing 1970s legal advocacy, one which pushed both law and culture to re-examine the ways in which women had been <clears throat> excuse me, pigeonholed as caregivers and men as providers. The late justices' anti-discrimination wins opened up a new era in which both men and women could respectively and responsibly engage in both avenues of fulfillment according to their personal talents and circumstances. But Ginsburg also viewed abortion rights as central to sexual equality, and her leadership helped give rise to a movement that remains laser-focused on abortion to this day. 
Yet rather than make women more equal to men, constitutionalizing the right to abortion, as the court did in Roe, has relieved men of the mutual responsibilities that accompany sex. And so has upended the duties of care for dependent children that fathers ought equally to share. Barrett embodies a new kind of feminism, a feminism that builds upon the praiseworthy anti-discrimination work of Ginsburg, but then goes further. It insists not just on the equal rights of men and women, but also on their common responsibilities, particularly in the realm of family life. In this new feminism, sexual equality is found not in imitating men's capacity to walk away from an unexpected pregnancy through abortion, but rather in asking men to meet women at a high standard of mutual responsibility and care. At Barrett's Senate confirmation hearing in 2017, Senator Dianne Feinstein tellingly remarked, You are controversial because many of us that have lived lives as women really recognize the value of finally being able to control our reproductive systems. And Roe entered into that, obviously. Barrett's life story puzzles older feminists like Feinstein because bearing and raising a bevy of children has long implied retaining a traditional life script, like staying home with the children that Barrett has obviously not heeded. To be sure, a few mothers of seven could become federal judges, never mind Supreme Court justices. Barrett, generationally brilliant, according to her Notre Dame colleague, uh, is likely alone in this set. It all seems so unlikely. She has risen to the pinnacle of her profession while at once being radically hospitable to children, as Sneed has described her. An enigma to many, she doesn't easily fit into any ideological box. If we're really intent as a country on seeing women flourish in their professions and serve in greater numbers of leadership positions too, It would be worthwhile to interpret the abortion rights sloganeering for a beat and ask just how this mother of many has achieved so much. In a 2019 conversation at the Notre Dame Club of Washington, D.C., Barrett was asked how while while raising so many children, two of whom were adopted from Haiti and one who has special needs, she has been able to balance family life with her demanding profession. Her response was a telling, was as telling as Feinstein's 2017 remark. Barrett's immediately praises her husband, who is also an attorney. We were open to either one of us staying home at different points. What's really made it work is that it's very much a team effort. Right now, Jesse is really doing much more of the heavy lifting, the cooking and kids, doctor's appointments during the day. We've gone in cycles. Right now, he's doing a little bit more of the home stuff. We evaluated at every step whether things were working well for the family, for the job I was in, but it was also always working and it worked well. The kids were very happy. I loved teaching. Barrett says that for both parents, the needs of the Barrett children came first, their professionals or their professions second, and yet both their children and professions thrived. Rather than assume caregiving as a woman's choice to embrace or reject on her own, as Roe does, the Barretts recognize that both mothers and fathers are encumbered by their shared responsibilities to the dependent children in their care. That's the new feminism building upon while remaking the old feminism. It's not only the Barrett's teamwork that has made all of this possible. In that same interview, she speaks with gratitude about the consistent childcare her husband's aunt has provided for more than a decade. And she points to the flexibility of her workplace and credits the growing presence of women in the legal profession as giving rise to a better working conditions than when she was a younger lawyer. As women, this is uh, Barrett's quote, as women are more present in law schools, on faculties and law firms, the workplace bends to be more... Uh, to be more flexible as women seek those accommodations. As women seek those accommodations by bearing and raising children rather than sacrificing the very lives on the altar of the marketplace instead. The sad truth is that nearly 50 years after Roe legalized abortion nationwide, the kinds of accommodations that make childbearing and family life manageable are only beginning to be implemented. 
Large numbers of companies still engage in rampant pregnancy discrimination. Studies show that women with caregiving responsibilities are often assumed to be less competent or committed to their work than their unencumbered peers. And when mothers and fathers seek to return to work after caring for children even a short time, their market absence is more greatly penalized by prospective employers than had they had uh, simply been unemployed. When a prominent corporate leader and contender for presidential nominee of the Democratic Party is reputed to have told a pregnant employee to kill it, it's no wonder women feel the need to hide that they are pregnant when they are at work. When we belittle the moral status of the unborn child, treating uh, the human being in near half century of Supreme Court case law as, quote, potential life, or in academic and popular arguments as something parasitic upon the pregnant woman, we ought not be surprised when our workplaces and other cultural institutions treat dependent human beings that way, too. If pregnancy continues to be likened to any other lifestyle choice or worse, a disability uh, in a contest with wombless men, pregnant women and caregiving parents will never receive the cultural support they need. So the article goes on, and I'm not going to read the rest of it, but, but that's the point. Like, it shouldn't be counterculture and, and, and radical to say that women can have their baby in their dreams. It shouldn't be. You want to talk about feminism. You want to talk about women's rights. You want to talk about women's empowerment. Having your baby and your dreams is all of those things. But instead, what Roe did in 1973 is, is quite literally took something away from women that, that made them very much different than men. And in the, in the, in, at the same time, it allowed for men to uh, shirk their responsibilities and walk away with, without any issue. And so what is that? That means that, that what modern-day feminism says is get rid of your baby. Modern-day feminism would also argue anything you can do, I can do better. Well, well, guess what the one thing that a woman can do that I can't do? For certain, have a baby. I can't have a baby. But a woman can. And what did Roe do? It, it, it took that away. So in the in the in the as they were trying to make everything equitable and equal, they actually took away something from women. And then they allowed a man to just run away. That's what Roe did. Now, they can wrap it up all they want, and they can say, look, it, it allows us to control our bodies. It allows us to have babies when we want to have babies. But, but then out of the same mouth, they are saying men should step up and men should pay child support and men should do this and men should do that. But, but what you're saying is you can get rid of the baby at any point in time. So you're not calling men to a higher standard. You're not calling women to a higher standard. What you're doing is you're sacrificing babies at the altar of success. And what we know is you don't have to do that. You don't. It's just like when I get off air today, I'm going to take my son to gymnastics. Now, now, why is that? Can't my wife do it? Well, sure, but my wife has something else going on. So, so when we parent our children, we do so in a way where both of us are engaged and involved. So what that means is last night when I got home, I helped with homeschool to finish up the, the day's work while my wife helped during the day. 
What that means is if there's a doctor's appointment, sometimes I'll take them. Sometimes my wife will take them. You see, we're, we're in this together. And our children need both of us. And in some seasons of life, I'm going to be more uh, doing that. And in some seasons of life, my wife is going to be more involved in that. We should be celebrating the fact that in 2020, the Supreme Court, the, the president is nominating a woman to the Supreme Court that is taking the place of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who did a lot for women in the 70s. That, that, that we should be celebrating the fact that Donald Trump is nominating a woman to the Supreme Court that has seven children, that's seen success professionally, while also loving her children and, and being a family person as well. We even heard this with Kavanaugh. He talked about how he coached his, his little girl's team. Even being a judge, he was still very much engaged and involved in the life of his children. Those are attributes and characteristics we should celebrate as a nation. May we do that. We'll talk more when we come back. Franklin can't go wrong with Kirk Franklin Kirk you know speaking of Kirk Franklin he's a I don't know why I'm telling y'all this he's mentored to Chance the Rapper Chance the Rapper has a great new song out with Justin Bieber called Holy highly recommend it it's a big fan uh the Wood family big fan of that new song uh Summer Page my second child uh is just playing it on repeat she's telling Alexa play Holy by Justin Bieber and uh that's my wife is tired of it but it's a Good song. Highly recommend it uh, to you. I, I'm not recommending all the Chance of Rapper songs to you. Don't hear that. I'm recommending that song. <laughs> okay? Make sure we, we preface that uh, with that. So thanks so much for listening today. As we, as we finish up, I do want to say the reason I just spent the last 40 or so minutes talking about Amy Coney Barrett is because she has the chance of, of being on the court for many, many years, for decades. And so it's important that we know what we're getting. It's important that we understand her. But it's also important that we take a time in, in 2020 where everything is so polarized and, and we, don't, we don't really celebrate victories. That we take the time to sit back and go, man, in 2020 you have uh, a woman that is a mother to seven children is about to become a Supreme Court justice. If you, would, if you would go back in time, if you would go back in time and look at some of our great-great-grandparents and say, or even our grandparents, if you'd have told them 70 years ago, 50 years ago, hey, in 2020, there's a lot of things if you'd have told them what happened in 2020, they wouldn't believe you. But if you'd have told them, hey, in 2020, a woman is going to be nominated to the Supreme Court. She's young. She's a mother to seven. They would have said, there's no way that's happening. There's no way. Folks, it's happening. And so we should take some, some time to reflect on that and what that means. And it's interesting to me that the, those on the left that would argue for women empowerment, those on the left that would argue for women's rights, those on the left that argue for uh, equity in, uh, in voting and equity in pay and all of these things, wouldn't also take the time right now to pause and reflect and say, what an amazing thing this is. It's the same thing that goes back to when we, when we talked about Hillary Clinton running for president. 
And, and people kept saying, you know, this is the chance for the glass ceiling to be broken. But they, they neglected all the women that were running for president on the Republican ticket. You see, they, they want the glass ceiling to be broken only if it represents their viewpoint. So they, they only want to see a woman on the Supreme Court if it represents their viewpoint. And, and we, we do that on the right as well. It's not as if it's just a, a left-leaning mindset. It's a right-leaning mindset too. And it's dangerous. Take some time to just reflect and go, wow, that is awesome. Look at how far we've come as a nation. Look at how far we've come as a society. And so the, the hearings are probably going to get nasty. I hope they don't. I really do. If I was a political strategist, and I'm not, but if I was a political strategist for the, the Democratic Party, I would not let it get nasty between now and election. But, I, I, you know, I, I doubt that they would listen. And so we'll, we'll see what happens. After seeing what happened with Kavanaugh, man, oh man, it, it, the sky's the limit in terms of, of how nasty it could get. But I pray it doesn't. Pray for our leaders. Pray for... Amy Coney Barrett, pray for her kids, her family. They're, they're going to get a lot of uh, the spotlight on them over the next couple weeks. Uh, again, once she's, in, once she's the, sitting on the court, a lot of that spotlight will go away. We saw that with Clarence Thomas. We saw that with Kavanaugh. A lot of that goes away once they are on the court. But during the hearings, it can get nasty and messy, and that means that the family's having to deal with that. The kids are having to deal with that. The the husband, in this case, is going to be having to deal with that. The, the parents, the grandparents, all, it's just going to, be, it's going to be hard. Okay, and so we, we've reached a point in society where uh, the reason some good folks don't run for office is because they don't want to put their family through the mess. And I get it. And so pray for our leaders, pray for those involved, pray for the Senate, pray for uh, the election coming up. It's going to be interesting. Also, I haven't even mentioned, but tonight... Uh, this is Tuesday. Tonight is the first debate between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. So grab your popcorn because it's going to be a bumpy, bumpy, bumpy ride. Should be fun. Great political theater. Uh, we'll see what happens and we'll talk to you next week. Can't wait another second. Cause the way you hold me, hold me, hold me, hold me, hold me, hold me feel so.